All right, you guys, you know, one of the reasons I started my own podcast is because I love listening to podcasts in my own life. I love finding new shows. In 2020, I've been taking these long walks daily. I'm talking like Forrest Gump long. <laughs> and these podcasts that I find, they accompany me on my walk and they help me in my spiritual walk too. And so when I find one that I love, I want to pass it on to you. And that's why I want to tell you about Be The Bridge podcast. Latasha Morrison is a best-selling and award-winning author. She's a bridge builder, a reconciler, and a compelling voice in the fight for racial justice. In 2016, she founded Be The Bridge to equip ambassadors of racial reconciliation. Her Be The Bridge podcast is another step in cultivating conversations that are hopefully going to lead to real change. And, and I'm sure you agree with me. We need to see some real change. She releases episodes every other Tuesday. And here's a couple I want to point out. Episode 208, she actually talks with Beth Moore and talks about faith leaders raising their voice. And in episode 209, she talks about critical race theory. So this is some important stuff. I want to encourage you to check it out. You're going to enjoy it. I know I've enjoyed it. The Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. Check it out. Merry Christmas, my friends. Welcome to the Matthew West Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew West. And as always, I really hope you like it. I really hope you like the jingle bells we added to the podcast theme song. I am hoping that does not go unnoticed or unappreciated by the listeners. We are making every effort here over at the Matthew West Podcast Workshop to make sure that each episode gets you in the Christmas spirit. And what's going to get you in the Christmas spirit more than Jingle Bells added to a podcast theme song, right? So you're welcome. Hey, I want to tell you another way that we are committed to help get you in the Christmas spirit, and that is this. Matthew Weston family present The Hope of Christmas, a special Christmas concert and show and event. It's more than just a concert. Trust me, we got some special things planned for you. It's taking place on December 18th and 19th from the comfort of your own home. You can join us in our home, and it's going to be epic, okay? We've got four different shows, two on each night. So two shows on the 18th, two shows on the 19th. We wanted to make tickets super affordable. For one ticket, everybody in your house can gather around your TV and join us for this special event. And as a listener of this podcast, you get a $5 discount. So go to MatthewWest.com. It's right on the front page there. You'll see a picture of me walking like I'm Buddy the Elf. Click to get tickets, and at checkout, use the code WESTPOLE, not North Pole, but WESTPOLE, and you'll get five bucks off of your ticket. There's a lot of cool options, too. You can order a cocoa and cookie party, and we send you all the stuff you need. Just check it out. There's a lot of fun stuff going on. So, MatthewWest.com, get your tickets to the Hope of Christmas, December 18th and 19th. It's going to be special. My guest today, speaking of the word special, that's exactly what she is. 
She's a number one New York Times best-selling novelist. She's known as America's favorite inspirational storyteller, with more than 25 million copies of her award-winning books in print. Her last dozen titles have topped bestseller lists, and many of her novels are under development with Hallmark Films and as major motion pictures. Her Baxter family books are being developed into a TV series slated for major network viewing sometime next year. How cool is that? She's also an adjunct professor of writing at Liberty University. In 2001, she and her husband Don adopted three boys from Haiti, doubling their family in a matter of months. Today, the couple has joined the ranks of empty nesters. They live in Tennessee, near five of their adult children. She writes life-changing fiction. She's an awesome storyteller. You know this podcast is all about the power of story. So, without further ado, let's go to the story house with my friend, Karen Kingsbury. The great Karen Kingsbury has entered the story house. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, so fun. I'm so glad to be here. You came in in the Christmas spirit, which is so fitting for you to be part of a <laughs> Christmas episode of the podcast. I'm looking at you. You have this uh, red. It looks almost like handmade. Did you knit it yourself, this red scarf? You no, know, in my spare time, I do a little knitting. <laughs> like, but, I don't know. I got it as a gift. Like a, It's called an eternity scarf. Eternity scarf? Isn't it nice? It has like a spiritual feel to it. And knowing you, that will turn into a book sometime. Somewhere. Uh, you'll find a way. Name of a book somewhere. <laughs> the Eternity Scarf. Oh. Christmas movie. Did we just start our first collaboration? <laughs> Karen Kingsbury. And this is so great to have you. So you show up. It's Christmas. You've got a Christmas scarf, or at least Christmas looking scarf. You showed up with gifts. How could I not? For the West family. Yeah. I know that you've written so many books, but what you reminded me of the way that you brought the gifts was very thoughtful. I just noticed you handed a, a special book to my youngest daughter that was targeted for her age group. Yes. What was the title of that book? Well, it was Best Family Ever and Finding Home. I gave her one and two. And the, yeah. and the targeted audience for that is, is... Like 8 to 12, 8 to 13. And yeah. she's 11. Yeah. So just nailed it. <laughs> then you hand, said, here's for your oldest daughter and the title of that book. Two weeks and it's a, it's a high school love story. So she's in high school, you know, Lulu's what? She's 14. She's 14. So I thought that might be good for her. So that's perfect. Then you handed me and my wife your latest book that we're going to be talking about today, Truly, Madly, Deeply. And does that not describe you and Emily? Like what yes. in the world? There it is. 17 years of love, <laughs> truly, madly, deeply. By the way, I've said this in past episodes, but I'm a huge font snob. I love designs because when I'm designing my albums, like I'm very involved in it's, so it's got to look right. It's got to feel right. And sometimes I totally miss it because it's not my strength, but I think I know more than I do. Yeah. But your book cover looks awesome. And it's like a picture of... Let's see, what kind of flower is it's that? It's like a little, it's like a Japanese flower, I think, or something. But it's like, it's red, it's so pretty. It's almost like, see the needle and thread? It's like, if I, if I knit my own scarves, yes. I think that would be my needle and thread. It's like this, and one <laughs> petal has fallen off, but it's like right. connected by a thread. Oh, so truly. even that's a cliffhanger in itself. It really is. And you know, the, the fact is, people do judge a book by its cover. So you have to be good at it. You have to. Well, and... Thankfully, in your case, they can also judge it by the words on the page. So you've you've delivered on two fronts. The cover is nice, but I know what's inside of it is going to be powerful as well. So, But then you brought other things, too. You didn't just bring your books. You brought me a glass that says gobble, gobble on it. Where did you find this? Did you have that made just for me? 
Okay. Like, Custom made, right? I, I wanted to say that. I wanted to be like, you know, I, I spent time like a month ago. Yeah. I went out and I contacted a glassmaker. No, I'm in Kroger and there's this display and it's like 90% off table. Come on. <laughs> 90% Come on. off. I'm like, you don't even know. Somebody else is 90% off. If somebody else is thousand percent yeah. because gobble gobble like the best song of the holiday season so far oh so you've enjoyed the gobble gobble song <laughs> most of the video though <laughs> oh the video was i didn't horrible. know if i should like wear that plastic raincoat if we were having a food fight today <laughs> it was great no no food fights but you bring me this glass and then you brought me some honey i mean i'm like this is just amazing so i i would like to have you on the show every month just <laughs> okay We'll do it. We'll find something. Thank you for putting me in the Christmas spirit, though. The scarf, the gifts, and, of course, (laughs) the present of your presence. Well, see, and that's where yours is the greatest gift, too, because here we are together. That's not often, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. A fan of you as a person, not just as an author. A fan of your family. Mm. I think your family is family goals. And I want to talk about your family. I want to talk about your writing career. I think even before we became friends... We connected by way of an invitation from you to be part of a cruise with your crazy, and I mean crazy in a good way, (laughs) your crazy fan base. They, I mean, I'm telling you, when I tell them I pray for them all the time, I do because they're like friends. Like, I don't even use the word fan. Most of the time I say my reader friends because they've got my back. I mean, they love me. They've got your back in a major way. I mean, like, and so shout out to all of Karen's fan base here and and i mean just because they know you're on this show they're probably going to be listening oh they love you they're already listening they love you first but when i went on this cruise wait where were did we go to alaska no it wasn't alaska it It was somewhere in the caribbean we did an ocean cruise and then we did a land cruise in a land cruise in florida yeah and i get to go and sing for your fans and for me what was interesting is you get used to doing concerts and like the people have come to the concert to see you but I quickly realized this was Karen Kingsbury's world. I'm just living in it. And I was so touched by the clear impact that your words, that your books, that your stories have had on the lives of what you just said, not your fans, but your friends. And that's exactly what it means. So how much does that mean to you to have such faithful supporters of the books and and the words that you believe God's put on your heart? I mean, I really do love them. Like I care so much. I always feel like... God puts a story in my heart, but he has their hearts in mind. So I feel like that kind of like a conduit that, you know, I'll get this story and it'll be very visual, like a movie in my heart. And then, you know, flash forward a year and I'm meeting somebody in a book line or back before all of this, and I'll meet someone in a book line and they'll look me in the eyes and they have like tears and they say, oh, your book saved my life. You know what you wrote. And and I think, how could I have known what you needed? And that's the Lord. I mean, that's just God's part where he gives me a story for your heart. And only he could do that. I love that. And I remember your fans or your friends, they got on me in a hurry. Like (laughs) when I was on your cruise and I made up, I have a habit of making up stupid songs, right? Gobble Gobble is a great example. But a lot of times on the spot, I'll just make up a song. And so I made up a song (laughs) and I missed the boat on these characters in your book. And I thought Baxter was a person. Is I think that's what I got wrong, right? Yes. <laughs> it just went yeah. nuts on me. And we had so much fun. But I like I thought I was like doing this funny thing, this song about Karen Kingsbury and all of her fans and her books. And they were like, oh, 
you haven't read the books. <laughs> you don't know the Baxters? <laughs> what is wrong with you? So, so funny. Let's start there. Let's start with the Baxters and how like that originated and what it's turned into and how many books later. And can Is that a good place to start? Yeah, maybe? that's a great place. I mean, I've, I don't even know. I think I might have 30 something books that have the Baxters in them. And you don't have to like read them in order. But in the beginning, it was just supposed to be five books. It all started with R, so you'd have something to remember. And it'd be like, redemption, remember, rejoice, return, and reunion. So it was just these five books. Mm. And then I was at a soccer game with my kids, watching the kids play. And this woman, a few seats away, she says, oh, I sure wish the whole family could be here to see this, you know, to see this game. And her friend said, what do you mean? And she said, oh, we had a, a baby out of wedlock, you know, so many decades ago and we were forced to give that baby up for adoption like we couldn't keep the baby and all of a sudden i'm sitting there and you know how this is with your instant songs i'm sitting there and all of a sudden i think oh my goodness that's what happened to elizabeth and john baxter not five children six children and what if they gave up this baby and what if they had no choice and the baby was raised by missionaries in Indonesia and then when the baby was 18, then you had this little plane crash and the parents were killed and he was an orphan again. Oh. And then what if he went to UCLA and became an actor, the biggest actor that you could ever imagine, <laughs> except he didn't have the Baxter family. That's it was like it wasn't even half time. I'm like, okay, calling my agent. This, there's more books. And so that's how it became five went to so many more. For people outside of like the book or the music industry, you you might have an idea for five or 10 or 15 books, but you really have to have people tell you and they tell you or they tell your agent, they tell your publisher if there should be five or 10 or 15 books by the way they respond to them or don't respond. You know, I've experienced that in music. I'm sure at times you've experienced something not performing as well as you'd hoped. But for you to get this many books out of the story <laughs> of the Baxters, that means people were actually getting it. And your stats, and you would never lead with your own stats, but I dug it up on my own. But you have over 25 million books in print. Yeah, it's crazy. That's it's a, unbelievable. It's really more than I can comprehend. I don't even think about it because, you know, it's it's a one by one thing. I mean, God put those books in those hands. So it's one by one. What's interesting is I was thinking about it coming into our conversation today is most of the guests who are authors that I've gotten the chance to interview, they're in the lane of nonfiction, right? Inspirational, maybe devotional material, things like that. And I was super excited to talk to you because your lane is way different. Yeah. You're a master storyteller. And I'm interested to get inside your mind today and hear how you think. We recently had an experience like that where you reached out to me about my Christmas song, The Hope of Christmas. Yes. And you're like, you know, that could be a movie or something. And I got an email from you with like an entire synopsis <laughs> yes. of a film that was awesome. I, I read it to my wife. I was like, <laughs> I would see that movie. Yeah, we were watching your virtual conference and we were eight of us in the room and like most of us are wiping tears off our face because the hope of Christmas oh, is a beautiful song. It really is. And all of a sudden I like, open my laptop and I start writing and my husband looks at me, honey, you know, like we're watching Matthew's concert. Like you shouldn't be having your laptop open. What are you doing? Like you put that to rest for an hour or two. And I said, no, no. I have this idea, like his song is perfect for a movie and I can picture it. I can picture him singing it at the end and he's got a star in it at the end. Anyway, he's like, my husband says, you're crazy, honey. What are you doing? But that's why I was able to send it to you. I see it. Well, I, I, okay, so describe that. Like, what's that like to see what could be that isn't already on the page? And then the process, you seem to be 
someone who can see the vision, but then quickly get in a zone of putting it down on the page. But talk about the experience from you're sitting at the soccer game or you're you're watching my Christmas show or whatever it yeah. might be, and you get this idea. Right. Talk about what it's like, the importance of putting it down right away, how hard or how easy that part of the process is for you. Well, you know, a storyteller, the best thing is to show, not tell. That's kind of the, you know, show me it. Don't tell me it. Show me it. You do that. So you do that in your songs, and that that's what makes you a storyteller. And, you know, the idea that you have stories from the story house, and people might think that's a story, but it's a story behind the song. But the song is a story, and you're specific in your details. That's what it means to show, not tell. So I could tell you, you know, as a little boy, I enjoyed my Christmases past. That doesn't show me anything. But when you're sitting in a pew or standing in a pew with my hand and my dad's hand and a candle in the other singing Silent Night. <laughs> you're making can, me blush. Like, you're quoting the lyrics. Right. Like Come I on. can now I can see that. Like, okay, this, as soon as you put a picture, I mean it's God that does it, but and he puts a picture in my head. And then it's just, oh, anyway, get me some paper, <laughs> get me a laptop because I, I can flesh that out. I told you before we got on the mic that I wanted to geek out for just a minute to talk about a little bit of the technical part of your process because as a writer when I get the chance to sit down with a great writer, I want to pick your brain mm -hmm. and see what I can learn too. Because, you know, the difference between writing a song and writing a book, there's a great canyon in between, I've discovered. <laughs> and man, I tell you what, I, I run to my guitar. But even though when I know like I'm supposed to write a book, I tend to run away from my laptop. And that's a real challenge for me. So talk a little bit about your daily creative process. Well, it's funny, you know, I do a little bit of songwriting, or I did when I first moved to Nashville, just some of the country singers, I did a lot oh, of songwriting. Yeah, yeah. And it was really fun, but I, I'm in awe of songwriting because you only have three minutes to tell a story. <laughs> and we got to make it rhyme. <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah, you got to make it rhyme and have some rhythm and whatnot. And I have, you know, 80,000 to 100,000 words. So to me, it's uh, in some ways, it's easier to tell that story. I get If I can't tell you a story that makes you cry in 80,000 words or something wrong, you know what I mean? I've got a lot of words. But my schedule is all over the map, and it's because I've always been family first. That's always been so important to me that I think Tyler was 10 or 11 when he said, you know, mom, I think I'm going, I'm going to be like a director one day and I might sing or write music, but I think I'm going to write novels in my spare time like you do. Wow. Yeah. That's what he thought. So that was like the greatest compliment he ever could have given me was that for, from his perspective, well, I'm busy writing two, three novels a year. Like it was I look your back. spare time. It was my spare time. That's amazing. Like, this is the smallest thing I do, and otherwise, I'm really out playing basketball with the kids at yeah. the hoop, you know, in the driveway, and and just listening to their stories and helping with homework. So that that was always important. So I can tell you that God has allowed me to be able to write very quickly. So I outline, and I have to love my outline. Like I like that's then you only have little bits to write. So especially when you're writing something nonfiction, or or if you're writing fiction. Based on something you sung, for instance, I mean, you just, you outline it and you go, okay, this is only 2,500 words. That's not, I can do that. You know, that's not that hard. So it feels manageable, manageable. because of the success of your outline. Yes, exactly. If I'm thinking about, okay, the Baxters, how many years ago was it that you came up with the idea of this family? 19 years now. Okay. So on the day you have this idea, you didn't just have an idea for one book. You immediately had an idea for five books? On a flight. I was visiting Gary Smalley. Do you remember who he yeah. was? Yeah. So speaker, he, author. yeah, speaker, author, relationship guy. He had the men's relational toolbox. Okay. Okay. He had love as a decision. Okay. Initially, I had five readers, and he was one of them. Oh, really? As it turned out, yeah. So uh, he invited my whole family to Missouri, and he took us out on their boat. He and Norma, his wife, and he's passed on. You know, he's enjoying his 
reward in heaven now. But back of a day, he was just like, I love your books. And one day I want everyone to know your books more than mine. Like, I think your books are going to be what changes people. <laughs> what a champion. <laughs> such a champion and such an encourager. And uh, and he said, you know, you don't write a book about like a family. You would write a book about like, like where there's a series that kind of goes to his family. I'd never thought of that. And so he said, what I'd love to do is I can put a little note like in the back of the book on like the relationship teaching that goes with that story. Wow. So the first five books in the Baxters, starting with Redemption, they have his name on the cover too. Cool. You're writing fiction, but then it had this real life application. Yeah, as like fiction short. should, as good fiction right, should, exactly. right? exactly. Like, you know, just a thousand words or something, but it's like a note from Gary at the back. And that's how the idea originated. That's how it create... originated, yeah. The reason why I bring the origins of it up are because I think where I would have gotten stuck is... Hmm, what should their name be? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that was sort of on my mind. So, I mean, literally the flight home from Missouri, I'm praying, you know, I'm getting on the flight, you know, watching kids. We had all the kids with us. And as as soon as I sit down, planes are a great place for me to outline and dream. And I I think because I can't do anything else, you know, I'm (laughs) 30,000 miles up off the, or whatever it is. Yeah, your phone's got to be off. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're, you're stuck up there in the clouds and it's beautiful and you can see and feel God's presence. It's holy ground for me. So- Everything, their names, their first names, the story outlines, like in general. It all came. All of it came on that one flight. But seriously, like when it came to picking the family's name, like were you like stressed? Did you have a million different names or did your mind just say, no, their last name is Baxter and that's. It just came to me and it was like it just fit. It was like, okay, I I love this and this is what it's (laughs) going to. And then I had originally, I had definitely a different ending because I only had five books in my mind. And I actually thought that the daughter, Ashley, was not going to make it past book five. And I had a reason and the whole thing was all planned out. But like you said, the readers, the listeners, the fans, the friends, these are the ones who will dictate where it goes. And they loved Ashley Baxter. So she was not going to die. It ended up being Elizabeth, the mother, doesn't make it out of book five instead. Because uh, people didn't love her as much. They loved her, (laughs) you know, but it was like I almost needed to give Ashley a reason to be she was a, a real rebel and then she comes around and sees that faith is important but part of that was her mom's illness and how are you getting that feedback from your readers about like man we love ashley's storyline just inundated like social like, media or? well initially back then it was more email so people are being so moved by your books maybe identifying with one character or another then they're sending you an email saying, I want to tell you how this has touched me and then you would let real life response inform the yeah. next steps in the story of this family. Absolutely. It really was like that. And I, I know, I, you know, with your different story songs and the and the ones where you really see a real life thing, and then that kind of becomes the inspiration for the next thing that you do. It's like that with these books. And I remember I brought my mom on. You have your dad, you know, dad advice. My mom answers the email still. That's amazing. Yeah. And she answers from, from Karen's mom, Anne. She says oh, that, like, like if beautiful. you got a letter from Karen's mommy and you are a special person. That because, is awesome. Yeah. See, what's interesting is if I write a song that's inspired by somebody's specific story where I actually mention their name. So a song on the latest record called Walk in Miracles, the first line says, let me tell you about William. Yes. And it literally tells a bit of his story. What's interesting is like in Christian music or Christian radio, those tend to be the songs that they don't pick to be on the radio because I think there's this fear or this association with the fact that if the storyline is too inside, it's not broad enough. It's not going to be received universally enough. But I feel like your 25 million books in print are proof that 
like what you just described Absolutely. earlier, the showing and not telling that differentiates. One, it's what makes, there's no other family like the Baxters on paper. People are falling in love with their story and they're not just observing a family. They're not just observing someone named Ashley who's in this story. <laughs> they're finding themselves in that story. Oh, I always say, I mean, this is why people love it. It's either the family that they wish that they'd had, or it's their family. And they literally see themselves in the specific characters and in their specific things. So yeah, I mean, I've heard that song. And yes, we may not all be William and his story, but we can relate to the heartache of that. And that's the thing. And so if you just say, let me tell you the story about someone who suffered and struggled, I'm just going to not even hear it, really. It doesn't catch my heart. So I think that radio probably has it wrong on that, you know. We know how many books you have in print, but that's 25 million books across how many total books? Um, How many total? There's between 80 and 100 books, I think, but I don't really know. I couldn't tell you exactly how many novels. I think novels, it's around like 70 probably. Are there books that you've forgotten you wrote? At this point, well, in your characters career? for sure. Really, yeah, like they'll be like, "Oh, I just loved you know joy and this particular book." And I'm like, mm, "Yeah, You're thank like, you." Oh, that old chestnut. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, how's she doing? <laughs> what did you think of that? What was the best part? You know, let you tell me. Can you describe a time where you had a deadline or you're working on a book? Sounds like you write very fast. Yeah, which, that's the you know, thing. I mean, I was going to tell you, like my fastest book that I ever wrote was four days. And it was 100,000 words. I mean, that isn't even logical. If I could only replicate that, sometimes it's four months because I'm so like cavalier about it. Not cavalier. I I respect, obviously, the deadlines matter to me. But... But definitely I know like, oh, well, I could go shopping or I could go do, you know, whatever I might go, be, you know, do. And then I should still at least be able to get the book done in two weeks. Wow. So that's, it's all God. It's not, I can't take any credit for it. It's not, ladies and don't gentlemen, get too impressed. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're talking with the uh, ghostwriter of my next book, Karen <laughs> Kingsbury. <laughs> that's just amazing. But okay. So, but have you ever had moments where the block came where you uh, got to take this family story or you started strong with an idea but you're just hitting a roadblock and you need a breakthrough have you ever had a moment like that i'm kind of in one right now i just turned in a book my editor loved it it's called a distant shore it'll be out next year like fall set in belize and partially in san antonio texas see what we need is books from you that take us to other places because we can't go there that's what i thought they're like do you think you'd be interested like maybe writing a love story set against COVID. And I'm like, no. Yeah. Oh, no. no. You said no. I said, I don't think anybody cares about COVID right now. They don't want to be with masks. I feel like people right now want you to take them away. Maybe in five years. And that's why we haven't talked about COVID much on this show. Because yeah. it's like, and I don't want to be like tone deaf to what's happening in the world. But I feel like, you know. We're just so oversight. It's like, we're, I think we thought it wasn't going to be over probably by now. And So what know. made you change your mind? Well, so this A Distant Shore was never going to be about COVID. And I said, no, I want to write about an undercover FBI agent who's, you know, lost his family and who just lives for the job and goes to Belize to break up a trafficking ring and rescues this girl who <laughs> becomes a, you know, informant. And the two of them have this unlikely love story. That's what I want to write. I don't want masks in the story. So is that what the story became? Is that yeah, what you're working so on now? It is that. But my publisher, they loved it. They're like, oh my goodness, I can hear the music. Like, this is going to be a big movie too. We, mm. we, this is a great book. But we think that you've put the female protagonist through too much. So can you scale that back? She was trafficked and she had had a very hard life. Instead, she'll be the daughter of the drug dealer. 
So that's the switch. So I'm. It's it's called a much rewrite. easier life. And you know, <laughs> much easier life, dealer, right? Yeah. At least, but at least she hasn't herself been <laughs> the like silver spoon. You know <laughs> exactly. Well, kind of like yeah, the, the dark princess is really like this. Oh, she's like this girl who. I mean, she's from the Mennonite community. But yeah, so so she's living in Belize. There's several Mennonite communities in Belize. Did you know that? I did not know yeah, that. I didn't either. It was so much fun doing the research on this. I'm like, now, did you have to go to? I mean, I, I would mean, imagine a trip to Belize paid for by the publisher is a, pending. Is I mean. <laughs> <laughs> we can travel. We've got to get out there. Are there any COVID outbreaks in Belize? Surely, it, surely you can be safe in the waters of Belize. I would. I mean, you would have to think so. At All least right. sometime this spring, when the okay. weather. Well, warms if, you, up. if you need the West family to yeah. come and help you scout, yeah. So you're kind of in a block right now, just in the sense that you're having to reshape and rethink based on outside perspectives that are valued perspectives. Yes, absolutely. How, how do you respond to that? Like, how has that been like when? You know, your books, I would imagine, are your babies, right? No no offense to your your human babies. They're like kids. But uh, that's how I feel about my songs. And and to be open to constructive criticism, I find, one, it's got to be from people whose opinions I value, Mm -hmm. whose track records speak for themselves. But it's so important to be open to coaching. Yeah. What's that like for you? Have you had a hard time with that over the years? Or have you ever had a hard time digging your heels in when you know that you know something's right. And that outside opinion's not always right. Right, it's true. I think the worst one was in 2005, I had a book called Divine. And it wasn't my idea, but the publisher came to me. At that time, there was this work of fiction, Da Vinci Code. And it was really calling into question in a very you know bad way, the divinity of Christ and having him having this relationship with Mary Magdalene. So my publisher came to me and said, we want you to write the antithesis to this. Like you oh, write okay. like you write a book that is an allegorical, like modern day Mary Magdalene and a character kind of like Jesus, but make it really mysterious and have a lot of action, but showing the divinity of Christ. And I said, are you sure? Because that's usually, I mean, I write more from the heart. Like my stuff's, you know, usually people are crying, they have a box of Kleenex, and then there's hope at the end. But I did an outline and I sent it to them and they approved it. They're like, this is what we want. So I wrote it and they read it. They're like, well, it's really good, but it's not, we really were wrong. We're wrong, actually. We want Karen Kingsbury heart message in this book. So can you rewrite it and change it entirely? I started with true crime. So I knew how to write a book that had a sense of suspense and mystery. I knew how to do that. That was your beginnings? Yeah. First four books were from being a reporter in LA and writing front page crime stories. So I knew how to do that, but it wasn't what I was known for. So anyway, they didn't like it. They wanted me to rewrite it. And like that week, my brother died in his sleep. Um, He had just given his life to the Lord. It was a beautiful time for him, but he died in his sleep. It was uh, just organs gave out, whatever. He's only 39. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I called my publisher. I said, you know, just, you don't have to pay me. It's fine. I I don't want to do it. And for a week I had to wrestle with God on that. (laughs) And I could feel God saying, yeah, you have to rewrite it. You know, this is an exercise in trusting me. Trust me. This is, this is going to help people and it's what you need to do. And it's, the body of literature right now in you know keeping with this da vinci code there needs to be something that is a response so i took a big breath and i redid it and it's beautiful I, it stands out as a special child in my heart you know as the kids of books go because so many people have written in and it definitely touches some topics like she had seven demons that she was healed of so it has a lot in it it sounds like that book has a special place in your heart because of even the way that it came about, the yeah. way that you muscled through it, what happened in your personal life right. in the middle of that. 
sounds like you saw God show up in your own life in a big way, helping you deal with that grief. Mm-hmm. It's hard to pick favorites, I would think, when it comes to your books. Some people would say, like, ask me, you know, oh, what's your favorite song you've written? And I, my answer is always like, what's your favorite one that I've done? Like, because <laughs> I tend Seriously? to go, I'm always highly aware of who I'm making my music for. I mean, first and foremost, to to glorify God. And then as an extension of who owns my heart and who's changed my story, my songs are for the people so right. that they too can find the same hope in Christ that I've found. So typically people will be like, they think maybe artists resent their biggest hits or something. Like, mm-hmm. oh, do you ever get tired of singing such and such song? <laughs> I'm like, no, because that would be the one the crowd's like all singing along. And I love that they love that. Mm. But it is tough to pick favorites when it comes to the outpouring of your creativity. What about you for your books? Well, I mean, the Baxters, like we we talked about the Baxters, and they're going to be a TV show. We have three seasons filmed wow. on that. So they're in the can. It was originally going to be part of a new streaming service. But uh, Roma Downey, who was in touch by an angel back in the day. I've heard of her. <laughs> yeah, we heard of her. And she has um, not only produced it, but she's in it playing what? Elizabeth. Yes. And they're so good. And I'm telling you. Can we talk about when it's coming out yet or is it still in the works? Literally got a text from her today on the way here that we're close to knowing. We're really close. The You're getting first... text from Roma Downey. Well, yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty She's cool. A sweet, sweet, sweet person. And she loves the Baxters and she wants the integrity of the story. Like in the way it honors God, she wants to that preserved. to come across. And I've seen. Well, she's a believer, right? She is a believer. Yeah. She's married to Mark Burnett, you know, a TV mogul. Very soon, like the Baxters don't know they're about to be famous, but so, that's true. Is it about picking a, a network or how does that whole yeah, thing? They're picking and they're picking a str- they're out to bid. I mean, they've taken it to market. So, you know, Netflix, Amazon, all the ones, different networks. Oh, so are all so most likely it would be on a streaming device of some sort. I think so. Okay. I think it will. Mm-hmm. Okay. As opposed to a network. So know. so your fans slash friends are just waiting in suspense. Oh, so much. Sus- and me too. Like, we're all waiting now. I've seen episode one and I can only say that they are going to go crazy about this. Like, it's going to be a huge thing. Okay. Now, are you worried at all? Like, you've heard it said, people say, oh, the book's better than the movie. Yeah. Are you ever worried? Like, you know. That- I hope they say that still. <laughs> okay, oh, that's good. That's right. a good outlook. I have so many. I could, I have fleshed the story out much more than you can do with a, with a TV show. They're doing twelve episodes per book, and that's awesome. Like I, twelve I'm so, show episodes. Yeah, per book. twelve show episodes. So, but even still, there's going to be details they're not going to have. But the actors are phenomenal, and it is just people are going to love it. Like it's going to be big. So I'm going to be asked this question, and they're gonna, I'm going to be saying, "Oh, the Baxter's my favorite thing." But but one Tuesday morning about nine eleven, that's up there. Ever after, even now and ever after, about the military. Oh man, truly, madly, deeply, because like with kids, that's a, that's the one on stage. So I'm clapping loudest right now for truly madly. It's deeply. right now. Like this is yeah. hot. It's it's Please, warm in my hands well. right here. Yeah. So let's talk about Truly Madly okay. Deeply. You've got a talented family, <laughs> and I want to talk about your family. Yeah. Kelsey was in The Heart of Christmas. She was in The Heart of Christmas, absolutely. With Candace Cameron. And yeah. that was like my first time like being introduced to the world of like film and how, in my case, it was like a song that was inspired by a story, became a little 
movie and it was yeah. fun and uh now i don't know I, i'm a, i'm slightly offended because i did have three lines in that film <laughs> but i never even got a call from you or roma to audition for this series so i i'm you know we are gonna I'm not now, sure what uh, that says that about mind, my performance and being that there are you know there are 20 some books about the baxters <laughs> you're gonna get a part matthew we're gonna get you into the baxters i've heard it said that nobody played the part of the friendly neighbor as as well as i did in that there, case there could but, be no better yeah. so but you've got a talented family <laughs> To say oh, the least, thank you. and uh, I will now seed the seed my time to allow you to brag on your family, and then we'll talk <laughs> about truly madly deeply. Yeah, well, Tyler is our um, our also Kelsey. You now she's amazing. She and Kyle, her husband, they are my design team for all things like newsletters, videos, websites, everything. But she does still act, and he still does music, so they're amazing. And Tyler, our oldest son, is a writer. He does music. He's got some music coming out actually this Christmas. It's phenomenal. That's it's so awesome. beautiful. I can see it. In, in movies but but he also writes and he wrote my series the kids books um, that I gave to Delaney he he wrote those and then I edit them wow. my name's bigger on the cover but that's nothing to do with the <laughs> truth and then he does music too as well and he and I wrote Maggie's Christmas Miracle so we screenwrite together and Maggie's Christmas Miracle is on Hallmark now now yeah people can it's probably on demand right so there's going to be airing yeah. times but I think you can probably go on and Probably. I mean, right? so many different, you can at least record it, you know, DVR it ahead of time. I think you should be able to is do that. Is it super cool to see your book come to life? It is. I mean, that that one, because we wrote it, so it's very close to the actual storyline, which we love. And there's some things you have to change because like in Hallmark land, you know, you, you can't be doing things like cliff jumping or petting zoos, anything that would cost a lot of money because those are <laughs> the bu- these aren't the budgets. Yes, you know? yeah. So you're having the Christmas stroll. Yeah, the trampoline park instead you know, of... <laughs> something, and you can be baking cookies and singing carols, but yes. there's like a limit. So it's not quite to the book, but it's still <laughs> so fun to see, you know. And, and now my youngest son, Austin, he acts and... Uh, He's, he just was in a huge movie with Robert De Niro that was wow. supposed to be on, you know, in screens, of course, this fall, but probably won't be anywhere till next fall now. Um, and then EJ's working in my You Were Seen movement. He's he's like the vice president of production in Wait, You Were what Seen. Is this? So You Were Seen started, we meant to start it this year. We didn't mean to start it over COVID, but it centers around these packs of cards. I actually brought you some. They're in the house, but. I'm so glad we're getting to talk about this because yeah. you mentioned this to me. When I got to be part of your virtual conference. Yes. One, I love that phrase because in my collection of people's stories over the years, so many people have shared with me just the feeling of being invisible like they don't matter like their story's insignificant right? right and one of the things i try to encourage in every episode of this podcast is like hey your story matters it's yes. your story for god's glory most of all god sees you so talk about you were seen yeah so it's this 10 pack of you were seen cards that people can get at the you were website and then they carry them around and there's room on the back to write a message we've partnered with billy graham's evangelistic association the bgea which is so, an amazing organization amazing samaritan's purse and the whole you know, Operation Christmas, Christmas to all Trump, of that. Yeah. So anyway, people will go from youwereseen.com and I've written that content and it's very story centric and it's very easy to kind of read wherever you're coming from. But then you click, if you if you don't have, you know, a hero in your story, if you don't know how you're, what's going to happen when the book ends in your story, click here and you're going to go to BGEA and the plan for salvation. So whereas I can't have that conversation with a cashier, you know, in one minute, I can give them, you were seen, tell them, hey, you matter. 
you know, Matthew, thank you so much for what you did today. And thank you so much for the way you were changing this world just by what you do and you matter, you were seen. And go check out the website, youwereseen.com. And where appropriate, you want to give a good tip. But I mean, we've had almost 200,000 cards go out of the office since June. It's amazing. That's great. Yeah. And for such a time as this, really. I'll post links to youwereseen.com as well as your website, of okay, course. Great. So so the family, amazing, <laughs> right? And my husband over all of it. He's incredible, yes. I'm telling you. Is, now, does he speak in on the business side of what you do or is, how involved is he? You know, he's sort of like your dad in a way in the sense that he is the spiritual mentor over cool. it all. But like yesterday, he spent his time on a roof, redoing a roof and downtown Nashville, where the tornado damage is still there. You know, we, I mean, COVID hit and there's still people living without roofs that mm. like got, you know, didn't get their FEMA money or they did, or it got scammed. There's just like little stories, but he, he was on a, he's not had a roof. He's never been a roofer, but he does a lot of volunteer work. And then prayer. I mean, he just prays and encourages. He sits down with our guys and reads the Bible with them. Yeah. He's great. Do you give him your books to like tell you what he thinks or how does that work? How do you keep the peace in your home? Uh, (laughs) You know what I mean? I I, I think about like I'll play songs for my wife and things like that. But do you do the same with your books? Well, we walk. So we walk three miles a day. We try to, my Good. husband and me. And so we get all of our, we pray together while we walk and laugh and sing. And But we also, I'll, I'll have a story, you know, and usually he reads like one in 10 of the books, honestly, which is totally fine. But I'll tell him the story. So I'm like, okay, so then this and then this, you know, and I go over the whole story with him. And he has even made like the kinds of suggestions that actually change the story. Ooh. Yeah, so he probably gets needs some credit. So just like, a you know, a man's touch. Yeah, a, exactly. A little bit of a... Yeah, he comes at it from a different vantage point. Would you fair? I mean, is it fair to say that uh, the bulk of your demographic is uh, maybe not dudes like <laughs> me and your husband? Do you have the a bulk. larger uh, sect of female readers? You is know, that fair to say? Look at the cover, Matthew. I mean, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely have more female. But one point, we had a T-shirt we sold off the website like a few years back that was real men. It was black with like block white letters. Real men read Karen Kingsbury. There you go. Because <laughs> truck drivers, they get the audio. You know, truck drivers, oh, SWAT cool. guys. Like yeah. people you wouldn't think. Firemen, you know, who, who will like write in and be like, oh, that book saved my life and my marriage. See, it's like, okay. You heard it here. The books are for everyone. There yes. may be a flower on the cover, but men... <laughs> <laughs> Don't let that scare you out there. So let's talk about Truly Madly Deeply. Tell me the uh, origin of the idea. I want to talk about the police connection with this book. Yeah, and, definitely. And uh, what's your heart and hope for what this book communicates is. Well, my cousin is a police officer. So I wrote this book more than a year ago when the idea of having like a police-themed book or a police-themed love story was not controversial. There was nothing strange about that or unusual. It's just my cousin was a police officer and I'm so aware of how hard it is. Like the the job is so hard and doesn't pay much and you put your life on the line every day, literally. Exactly. And you don't just put your life on the line physically, but mentally. Because sometimes what you see and hear and what you're, it, it can change you, yeah. you know, over time. So Tommy Baxter, naturally, we got a Baxter. This is not part of the series. But Tommy Baxter is Luke Baxter's son. He's 18. So now we're writing about the kids of the Baxters. And um, he's supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer. He's very smart, good kid, loves the Lord. He has a new girlfriend that's a high school sweetheart. It's also sweet and a mission work and whatnot. And Tommy pays a visit to the 9-11 Memorial in downtown New York City because his grandfather was in the Twin Towers. That was another book, like years ago, obviously. So you're connecting all these things in subtle ways. Even yes. That, I love that. Connecting so even if it. you didn't read that particular book, 
you may not see the connections. So there's value in reading them all. That's true. That's yeah. so cool. Kind of okay. like this is us in a way. Like I love you're going to get these that. little flashbacks. But anyway, so Tommy decides a conversation with a police officer while he's there and changes everything. He's like, I'm going to be a police officer. Hmm. So he goes home, he breaks the news to his family. His mom is freaking out. Very upset because she's so scared something will happen to him. Like, right, Tommy, you're supposed to be a lawyer like your dad. What are you thinking? That's not the plan. And the dad is like, well, I know the police chief. Like, hey, I can get you some ride-alongs. And then that creates conflict between his parents, obviously. So Tommy is like doing these ride-alongs. And we're getting to see vicariously through his eyes just how hard it is and how... You know, a police officer will use his own money to buy someone lunch or to give someone a ride, whatever. Like, they're there to help. And, I mean, in the vast majority of cases, that is their goal. It's their heart. Absolutely. It's their intent. And then, meanwhile, his his little girlfriend gets a, a sick di- a diagnosis that she's pretty sick. And mm-hmm. so it really becomes a story. I mean, what the takeaway is, is fear and faith. When you played out your fear, where are you going to turn? There's nowhere to turn but to God because he's not the reason for the bad things that happen, but he is the rescue. Say that again. You know? <laughs> I mean, he's not the reason, reason for the bad things that happen. He is the rescue. Shoot, man. Write a song about it, Matthew. If, yeah, we're going to pause this episode. <laughs> I've got to go sit at the piano for a little bit. That is, that'll preach. Yeah, it'll preach and it'll sing. And I'm going to count on you to write that song. You guys might know a song of mine called Truth Be Told. Well, I'm going to let the truth be told right now. It's no secret 2020 has been a hard year for everyone. For many of us, maybe the hardest year we've ever had to face. There's been more than one moment where I felt like my spiritual health, my mental health, my emotional health were being threatened and even weakened, you know? The proud person that I am has a hard time admitting when I need help, when I need to talk things out with somebody. But here's a newsflash. There are not enough self-help books in the stores to give me the strength and the wisdom that I need or that you need to rise up and face every Every obstacle that comes our way in a year like 2020. We can't do it alone. We need help. I want to tell you about my friends at BetterHelp. H-E-L-P. BetterHelp wants to assess your needs and then match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Then you get to connect in a safe and private online environment. It's super convenient and you can start communicating with your counselor in under 24 hours. Now remember, this is important and this is why I support BetterHelp. It's not self-help, it's professional counseling. They have licensed professional counselors specialized in areas like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, anger, family conflicts, and the list goes on. They've got a counselor for you. And I hope that every episode of this podcast fills you with hope and fills you with encouragement to know that the best of your story is ahead of you. But sometimes you need to speak to somebody. And if this service can help you, I want to make that possible. I want you to start living a happier and more fulfilling life today. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com MWP. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash MWP. What was the turning point that made you go, I want to write novels. I want to write fiction. You're right on that. That's exactly what happened. In fact, well, my dream growing up was to do that, to write novels. And But I wasn't a Christian, and I was reading things that you shouldn't be reading. You know, they're, they're very out there. I mean, there's everyday kind of romance novels are really bad. I mean, they really have a lot of bad content. And uh, no one was paying attention or knew, so I was reading that and wanting to be that kind of writer one day. And then 
ended up doing the journalism track and ended up writing these sort of true crime stories for the LA Daily News and the LA Times. You know, I actually started in sports writing. Did you know that? No. Yeah. I love that, though. That's great. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, and I, I was doing the feature stories for the for the L.A. Times in sports. When Bo <laughs> Jackson was brought in with the Raiders, yeah. Marcus Allen would only interview with me. because No I didn't, way. Yeah, because I wasn't trying to make it into a controversy. The great Marcus Allen. Yeah, because there were two running backs. Yes. And, and, you know, Bo Jackson comes in, and he was kind of funny. He talked in third person. Bo is here and Bo is going to do a good job. It's like, okay. Yeah. I'm the only girl and I'm like only brought in because I'm a woman, which I totally disagree with. But that's why I was there. And so I could write, but I totally did not know sports. So Matthew, my dad would take me to games and like tell me what happened on the way to the office, back to the office. So that you'd be prepped and ready to write. write Oh, that's amazing. So quickly they moved me into features, which I could do. You know, I could, you don't have to know the line score (laughs) to be able to do features. But after I'd done that a while, I didn't want to be in locker rooms. I didn't think that's where I should be. And so they moved me to the front page to do features on the sad, scary stories that had happened during the week. And four of those became books, became true crime books. And I, by that fourth book, I had post-it notes of scriptures around my laptop, around my, wasn't even a laptop, probably a word processor at that point. But I couldn't do another one. I was just done with doing like true crime was just I couldn't change the ending. There wasn't wasn't seeing redemption in these stories. And so I'm like, literally, I was like 31. We had moved to Cottonwood, Arizona, because Tyler had been born and we lived in L.A., but then Tyler had environmental asthma. So when I when I took it back a step, when I'd written those four true crime books, I quit my job at the newspaper so I could be home with Kelsey. She'd been born and then Tyler was born. So it was a way to be home, but it was like on the my spare time, I'm driving to prisons and interviewing killers. Oh, and wow. it's so, so heavy, sad, heavy. heavy. I hired a babysitter from church, Cottonwood, Arizona, 31, living in an apartment. And uh, you know, my husband was a teacher and basketball coach for 30 years. So mm. he was doing that. Doesn't pay a fortune, but we were very happy, having a great time. And I literally wrote a novel called Where Yesterday Lives. It was my heartbeat, and I did not have a contract. My agent for the crime book said he was, you know, this New York guy, heavy New York accent. Karen, you were gonna be a star. Why are you gonna leave true crime? You know, <laughs> I'm wow. like, I'm called to do this. Good. I'm called yeah. to write this sort yeah. of fiction and inspirational, life changing fiction. It was my heartbeat. And uh, after I wrote the novel, it took me a year to get a publisher. And every day I was on my knees praying. And finally, it was Multnomah who said, "Is this book still available?" And I was contacting them. You know, they didn't. Wow. They didn't get. They they knew me by name by the time they finally read it. Yeah. And uh, they were like, "We want three of your books. Can we do three? I'm like, "Ah, oh, just like overnight." It was oh, just like a. Wow. And it wasn't. You know, it was. It was a really like I wondered if I had to wait tables to yeah. be able to afford to be able to be a novelist in the Christian market at first. But the Baxters is the turning point for that too. Talk about the importance of you mentioned about some of the some of the world's fiction. You know, we talk about it in music a lot. Like there's, you know, there's junk food for your ears, yeah. right? And I talk about it with my daughters and oh dad, what's the big deal? You know. Right. Like my parents used to talk to me about, you know, don't go listening to that. Like you don't realize how it, it can affect your character, yeah. your approach, your view on life, how it can soften your conscience and things right. like that. But the fiction out there in the world, the stuff that's been turned into movies now, I mean, it's it's darker and more salacious than yeah. ever before. And you've seen that happen. Has that only stoked your fire for the importance of what you describe as life-changing fiction? Has that given you even a renewed sense of purpose as you continue to, to write your books? 
It definitely has. I, I often think of Jesus and his fervor to, he was always communicating. But if he wanted to tell you something straight, he would just teach you that. Just tell it straight. If he wanted to make a point, he yes. would turn over a table. But when he wanted to touch your heart, he told a story. And I feel like that's where the key is. What happens is people you know, don't even know. Like a non-believer can pick up one of my novels, no problem, and get caught up in it. And the Holy Spirit's teaching and, and love and care is going to come in through the back door of the heart and literally do what he wants to do. God will do that in your life and the back door of your heart. I've had readers who will like say, you know, my mother is on her deathbed and she has cancer and she's not going to live. And she's been an atheist, but she's reading your books and she's ready. She's ready for that. And I'll get on the phone with that person in the most beautiful highlight moments of this writing career. And I'll be able to like lead this dying 80 year old woman to the Lord because of what she read in a book. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing. What would you say to like believers out there? I remember when like 50 shades of gray came out and it was huge. And, you know, I remember like my wife having conversations with these different women who, you know, church going Christians who were like defending how a book like that would be harmless Mm. Or whatever. And I remember, and I was proud of my wife for saying, like, yeah. you know, that's not the case. Like, you got to be careful, little eyes, what you oh, see. Yeah. And, and sometimes we leave that at childhood, you know? It's and, so sad. And, yeah. uh, and it's things that the world says are harmless. Mm-hmm. And then those kinds of things get glorified and, and blown up and, you know, huge movies and things like that. But what would you say to the believer out there who's, who's drawn to that kind of thing. You know, like you said you were back in the day before yeah. you even started writing, like right. what type of impact that can have on the negative in someone's mind and heart? Well, you know, in Romans 12, one and two, it says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the, the renewing, renewing of, of your mind. Yeah. So your mind will be renewed one way or another. It's going to be good. formed or transformed one way or another. And we are kidding ourselves. I mean, once we let that bar start to slide and we just, if you look at yourself and you say, if what I'm watching and what I'm reading and what I'm saying and the way I'm treating the people I love isn't different from the person next door who doesn't have any faith in Christ, then that's a problem. That's good stuff. You said you've listened to a couple of episodes. Yeah. So you would know that there's a question I ask at the end of every episode or towards the end where I get to ask what your blue couch story is. And the blue couch significance, people listen to my music or this show know by now that it was a 13-year-old me sitting on a blue couch. And I had a defining moment in my faith where I asked Jesus to be the author of my story, even though he already was, yes. you know, asking him into my heart and yeah. and having that blue couch moment with Billy Graham in the background and, and my mom sitting next to me. And so I love asking that question and I love asking it towards the end of a conversation with someone like yourself, because we've talked about all the amazing things that the Lord's done through your life, but to maybe return Back to the beginning, to have that full circle moment before our time is up where where we can see and the listener can catch a vision of, okay, but where was that first seed planted that then sent you on this trajectory, right? That choice to follow Christ. And yeah. then look, it hasn't all been easy. It hasn't all been perfect. But look what's happened, you know, from writing about Bo Jackson to true crime <laughs> to life-changing fiction that's telling people about Jesus in such a unique way talk about your blue couch moment if you can and uh, let us see and paint a picture like only you can <laughs> well you know it all centered around the guy that i married who i love my love of my life 31 years now 
Don is his name. And, and Donald was this guy who, when I met him, just this like very good looking athletic guy. But when we got to talking and we met working out at the health club and he wanted to go on a date, but he said, uh, Karen, is it okay if I bring my Bible? I'd really like to, you know, read a chapter of like Philippians or something before we go on our date. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> this guy's so weird. Like, who is this guy? I'm like, I don't know a Philippian from any kind of Ippian. I don't know any Ippians. Okay. I don't know what it is. I'm like, don't want to lose him right away because he was, first of all, he was clean cut. He wasn't a partier. And I, I had dated a guy who was more of a partier. And this, I did not, I couldn't stand it actually. So right. I'm not really I'm not into the drinking thing and all that. So he wasn't. And I thought, okay, I can't lose him right away. Like, what? how bad could it be? Like, all right, yeah, sure. Bring the Bible. So like he, he brought it to the date. My parents' house where I lived at the time and I'd moved back because being a journalist was so lucrative, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I moved back home. <laughs> and we read this Philippians. And of course, it's I know by almost like by heart, like chapter four is what we read. And I was just like looking at my watch, ready to go. Like, no, I don't, you know, can we check that box? Are we done with the Bible? And he kept on bringing the Bible to dates. Like for the next three months, it was contentious. Like he'd bring it. I'd be like, do we have to? Like roll my eyes. But I really liked him. So finally we were, it was an afternoon, Southern California. He's standing by his car and I'm standing by my car. Like we're like kind of near each other, ready to part ways. But we begin to have this like debate about the Bible. And I'm like, just sick of it. And I took his Bible, I was holding it, and I didn't know how to defend my views. So I had the, I had accrued these like man-made views toward everything, probably from yeah. my romance novels I was sure, reading. Sure. That was probably like what I thought life should be. And part of it was the physical. Like I didn't, so I mean, you know, it felt like that didn't seem like the whole waiting idea made any sense to me. I didn't mm-hmm. know. And there were several things, but I took his Bible, highlighted, underlined, precious Bible. I mean, he was seeking God. This man was seeking after the Lord. And I took it, I threw it on the ground and broke it in half. Blue couch moment. So he picks up the pieces and gives me a sad look and he leaves. And I'm like, I'm going to go down the down staircase. I mean, like earth, the earth is going to open up and I'm going to be the first one mm. called into the pit of fire. And uh, I decided I would, I had this sort of sense of competition that like, I'm going to make this right. I'm, I'm going to figure out how to debate this with him. So I needed more information. So all my life I had driven by this Christian bookstore. And I drove myself to that bookstore and I went in and I said, I need a Bible in English. I need something I can look up words. So they give me like the Strong's exhaustive concordance and an NIV Bible. And I marched myself from the books out to the car and not 10 minutes. I couldn't, I didn't get out of the parking lot. I didn't even turn on my car. I was like desperate to find out how to defend my arguments and my man-made beliefs. Mm. And I could hear God saying, I mean, every one of them, they're just not there. Like, it was like, What? I could read it. It was scales off the eyes. It was incredibly just transformative moment. And I could feel God saying, you can fall away with all your man-made beliefs or you can grab onto my word and never let go. And I grabbed and here I am. Wow. <laughs> From throwing it down you know? and letting go of it to grabbing a hold of it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I say it every time, but that's why I love asking that question. And And, and how many years later you and your husband have been married? I said 31, but it's really 32. We've been married 32 years. What a great mention, too, to anybody listening who is praying for somebody who they love to come to know Jesus. You know what I mean? To lead by that example and uh, just the way that the Lord used him in your life. That is so awesome. I mean, we have five sons, and one of the main things that speaks so loudly to them is like this guy who was shamelessly in love with Jesus— is the reason we're having this conversation. That's I mean, great. it has nothing to do with That's me. Great. And that bookstore, they sell my books, you know? So like yeah. that's just incredible. Well, 
everybody's shamelessly in love with Karen Kingsbury's books. <laughs> and uh, I'm so glad that we got a chance to hang out together yes. today. And especially at Christmas time. I think I told you, I was like, I'd like to have you on at Christmas time. And I didn't really even know why, because it's not like you write just Christmas books. But I think it's maybe because we were texting about Christmas yes. with your movie idea for The yes. Hope of Christmas, which, hey, maybe some good stuff's going to come from that. But I think this is just like your ability to tell stories. And I feel like I could tell you, okay, story about Christmas, go. And you just create like, <laughs> let's let's do it real quick. Okay, okay. so like, let's call it... Um, the Eternity Scarf. Let's, okay, let's, the Eternity Scarf. You've got a scarf on that's called the Eternity Scarf. Okay. So what is this story? Okay, so there's a, a businesswoman and she's young. She's in her 30s and she lives alone in an apartment and mm. she's had nothing but tragedy and the guy she really loved walked away from her completely. She had a faith, but she's really lost it. The only hope she has still is this scarf. She wears this red Eternity Scarf. It's a circle. It doesn't end. And she thinks back to her parents who died in a fire just a long time ago. Mm. And she thinks... You know, if there's still any chance, it's going to be like this scarf. It's going to not have any end or beginning. And just in the outside chance, there might be hope for Christmas um, <laughs> to have some sort of eternal um, faith again. Yes. She wears the scarf. She wears the scarf. She wears the scarf. But then one night she accidentally falls asleep with it on. And she can't oh, no. breathe in the middle of the We're night. The- but her cat can sense her distress. Yes. No, it's the neighbor's cat. And the cat starts pulling at the yarn on the eternity yeah, the neighbor's ca- The neighbor's cat, this young guy, he's like single yes. and he's never, he felt like he'd never fall in love again. His cat gets out and goes over to her house, saves her life. And what was her name? And her name is uh, Ellen. Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she now has a daytime talk show. <laughs> that's oh, that's a stretch. A, and then, but then she, her life was saved by that cat. And then yeah. she dedicated her whole life to cats. And she has a and thousand And the guy, cats. though, the single guy next door oh. comes over to get his cat and whoop, they fall in love. They fall in and love. And that's it. Yeah. And then, and he's, you know, he's newly back to the Lord. So he takes her to church. And they're Christians. And they're Christians. And they're cats. They weren't. Their cats are. It's all about so the instead cat. of her being single and alone with a thousand cats, That's she's married it. in love with one cat, the one cat, and a scarf. That's it. As a, oh. which she knit back together. Ladies and gentlemen, the eternity <laughs> scarf in stores. <laughs> 2021, Christmas 21. Now, you're going to have to wait for the Eternity Scarf, but you don't have to wait for Truly, Madly, Deeply. I'm holding this book in my hands. It's uh, from the number one New York Times bestselling author, Karen Kingsbury, and she has made sure that this book fits perfectly in a stocking for any family member. You can order it in time for Christmas. We're going to post a link to the book as well, so make sure you get this. Karen, you're amazing. Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, it's Merry Christmas. I hope thousands and thousands and thousands of people pick up the Truly Madly Deeply novel that you've just released, and they will have a Merry Christmas as you take them on an awesome journey like you always do. So keep up the great work, and thanks for being my friend. Thank you. You too, and we'll do it again. We will. Eternity Scarf. Eternity Scarf. 2021. Hey, now it's time for Songs from the Story House. Today's song from the Story House is actually going to be two songs. I'll explain why in a minute, but first, let's listen to this song, One Last Christmas. It's the news that no one hopes for Every parent's greatest fear Finding out the child you love so much Might not make it through the year Now the thought of spending Christmas 
Several years ago, I received a story about a little boy named Dax Locke. Dax was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia, and he was a patient at St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. After doing all they could for this sweet little boy, the doctors told his parents that most likely Dax wouldn't make it to see Christmas that year. The parents knew how much Dax loved all the lights at Christmas, and so they decided to skip right past the fall decorations and surprise their son with Christmas lights in their front yard, and his name was lit up in red and green, Dax. The neighborhood caught on to the reason for this early decoration, and each home quickly followed suit. Then, the local news reported on the story, and pretty soon, people were sending in pictures from all over town and all over the country of their homes decorated for Christmas in September, all in honor of a sweet little boy who was fighting for his life. I wrote this song, One Last Christmas, as a gift to a heartbroken family who had lost their little boy way too soon. Now, why am I talking about two songs in this section? Well, some producers in Hollywood heard that song and wanted to turn the story into a movie, but they asked if I'd consider writing a new song that captured the heart of that story while still being a little bit more universal and not directly telling the entire story. That's when I had the idea for a new song called The Heart of Christmas. I'm gonna make a wish this Christmas I'm gonna say a little prayer Stop here for a moment Before the moment disappears The world's in a hurry this December The city streets and shopping malls I wish we could slow down and remember The meaning of it all With the writing of the song, The Heart of Christmas, the movie, The Heart of Christmas, was also born. It became this sweet little movie, and it told the story of Dax. You can actually find it on Netflix this holiday season. It stars my friend Candace Cameron Bure. I have a small part. I've got three lines in it. But most significantly, Dax's mom has gone on to be a champion for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. She's raised millions of dollars as a fitting and awesome legacy for her sweet little boy. Now, here's what I want to pass on to you by highlighting these songs during this episode. My prayer for you is this, that you will find the heart of Christmas. May you be reminded that life is brief. Every moment is precious. Dax's mom knows that all too well. May you be reminded not to leave important words unsaid. Tell the ones you love how much you love them. Tell the ones you've hurt how sorry you are. Tell the ones who've hurt you 
that you're making a commitment to work towards forgiveness. And tell the one who loves you most that your heart belongs to him, your Savior. That, my friends, is how you find the true heart of Christmas. I'm gonna make a wish this Christmas. I'm gonna say a little prayer. Wherever you are, no matter how far, come back to the heart, the heart of Christmas. Live while you can and cherish the moment and the ones that you love. Make sure they know it. The story of Dax is a heartbreaking story. And yet sometimes heartbreaking stories can become heart-shaping stories when we allow them to touch us to reach us and remind us what really matters. So thank you to Dax Locke's family for letting that story be told in the form of a song and in the form of a movie. And I hope it touches your heart this Christmas. The heart of Christmas. He's my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this final segment of the show is called Dadvice. He's my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why this segment is called Dad Advice. Hey, Dad, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you, Matthew. We just had a great conversation with Karen Kingsbury, and I'm excited to close out our show, as always, with some words of advice and some words of encouragement from you. Well, I think I have uh, just what we need. Good. Called The Heart of Christmas. Just uh, has a wonderful message of encouragement. Matthew, I want to start out with a question. Do you know what the most popular Christmas movie ever made was? And I know what you're going to say before you even say it, but go ahead and I'll probably disagree with you. I'm going to say Jimmy Stewart, It's a Wonderful Life. I knew you would say that, but I have to disagree with it. And here's a hint of the best movie, Christmas movie ever made. You're in that movie. <laughs> okay. Mom and I have already watched it again this year. The Heart of Christmas. It's called The Heart of Christmas. <laughs> and um, Matthew, can you describe a little bit of The Heart of Christmas? And I want to encourage everyone listening, if you haven't seen this movie, you need to see The Heart of Christmas. Yeah, I sort of laid out the premise in our last segment with Songs from the Storyhouse, just talking about a sweet little boy named Dax Locke, and he was a patient at St. Jude's Children's Hospital. A really, really touching story, a heartbreaking story, but also a beautiful story of redemption, and uh, was so honored to see that song turn into a movie. Well, it poses a question for every one of us to answer this Christmas, is what's at the heart of Christmas? If I asked my 10 grandkids, they'd say gifts. If I asked my three sons, they would say family. Mm -hmm. And those are good answers, but the real answer is giving. God set the example for us on the first Christmas when he gave his only son, Jesus, the greatest verse in the Bible, the greatest verse you could ever preach from, and it's the gospel in a nutshell, and everyone can memorize this, John three sixteen. Of course. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. When God made his list that first Christmas, he knew exactly what each one of us needed. That's good. A Savior. At the heart of Christmas— is a Savior. Luke 2.11, for unto us is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. 
Here's three ways that God gave the greatest gift. He gave his best. Matthew 7, 11 says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good mm. gifts to those who ask? Jesus God gave his best. 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, his son, Jesus. He also gave freely, meaning liberally. He did not hold back. He did not hesitate. Matthew 18, 18, freely you have received, freely give. That's good. And then he gave to all. He gave to all. Back to the greatest verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, mm. it's for all. The message is for all of us this Christmas. Matthew, I love the line in the song for the movie, The Heart of Christmas, entitled The Heart of Christmas. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but as a dad, I want to brag on you that you have written the best Christmas albums ever. <laughs> Unto Oz. And then the album is The Heart of Christmas. And now you've just put out a brand new song called The Hope of Christmas and an awesome video, which again, I want to encourage everyone to go see and let it minister to you. Thank you. But in the line of that song for the movie The Heart of Christmas, it says, In the shadow of a steeple, in a star that lights the way, you will find him in a manger. The heart of Christmas has a name. That'll preach. Oh, what, right? what, what a powerful line. What a wonderful time to invite the heart of Christmas into your heart. That's and good. I remember as a little kid singing, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord, Lord Jesus. Jesus. And I would encourage each one today to make sure that you know what truly is at the heart of Christmas. Dad, that's awesome, and I'm not just talking about the shameless plugs that you gave for my music. You've already got the job on this podcast, well, by the way. But... I love giving a shameless <laughs> plug to you. You deserve it. Well, you're always <laughs> bragging on me, and I appreciate it. But what you just shared was really powerful, so I just want to recap it real quick. That Here's what's at the heart of Christmas is giving, and God leads by example, as he always does, yes. right? He doesn't just tell us how to live. He shows us how to live. He gave his best in his one and only son, Jesus. He gave freely, yes. and he gave to all. And yes. as we tap into the true heart of Christmas, we can realize what a wonderful gift we have to celebrate this year in, in how God has given so much to us. Yes. And then may we emulate those three things, right? Yes. Lord, yes. show us how to turn around and meet this lost, hurting, and broken world. In Christmas 2020, how do we reach this lost yes. and hurting, broken world by giving our best, first to God and to others, uh, giving freely, meaning generously, right? Yes, giving dangerously yes. even. Mother Teresa said something like, it, it, giving isn't giving until it hurts a little bit. So yeah. what does that look like for us? And then giving to all, right? Yes, yes. No judgment, just love. How can we love others? They will know we are Christians by our love. Dad, thank you for reminding us what's at the heart of Christmas this year. That is so awesome. want to remind you that my dad and I have a nonprofit ministry called Pop We, and this segment of Dad Vice is really just an extension of what this ministry is doing day in and day out. We have a network of prayer volunteers across the country. We collect thousands of prayer requests from people. We also send out a weekly devotional free straight to your inbox called Day One 
one devos. So if you want to receive some more encouraging messages, just like the one my dad shared with you, I want to encourage you to go to popwe.org. That's P-O-P-W-E.org. We are a community of storytellers reminding each other that there's power in your story. If you need that kind of reminder, we want you to be part of this ministry. So go to popwe.org today. Well, my friends, that's our show for today. I had so much fun talking with Karen Kingsbury. Isn't she awesome? I hope you'll check out her latest book, Truly, Madly, Deeply. We will post links at the official podcast page at matthewest.com slash podcast. You'll find links to all of Karen's books and products, but you'll also find links to the songs that we focused in Songs from the Story House. Boy, I hope those songs meant something to you today. I told you we're on a mission to help you find the heart of Christmas and the hope of Christmas, the hope that we find in Jesus. And as always, want to thank my dad for joining me with Dad Vice. He's on a mission too. And together we hope that these episodes are speaking to your heart this holiday season. Last but not least, one more reminder, December 18th and 19th, The Hope of Christmas, a special live concert event with my entire family. We've got tons of special Christmas surprises for you. So go to MatthewWest.com to get your tickets and use the special podcast listener code WESTPOLE, not North Pole, WESTPOLE, and you'll get five bucks off your ticket. Now, Go make the most of your day today, and remember that God has a huge plan for your life. Your story matters. It matters to Him, and it matters to this world. It's your story for His glory. God bless you. I'll see you next week.